Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, team. Amen. We have a lot to praise Him for today. Amen. Grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 15. We've been in a mini-series entitled Abiding in the Vine. One of the byproducts of being connected to Jesus in the Vine is this joy that we're singing of, a fountain that, that springs up and we know we have a hope that the world doesn't understand. Our third and final week this week in John chapter 15 is going to be focusing on these last verses in this chapter. Look with me as I read John 15, starting at verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Verse 22 of chapter 15, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates the Father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. You know, Jesus is giving a warning here. Jesus is drawing attention to something that he doesn't want his disciples to miss. And he's been talking in this chapter about this vine and branch relationship. This this deep relationship with him. And he says, warning, don't miss this. Don't get caught by surprise. I don't know if you take time to read warning labels too often. Some of them seem a little bit ridiculous. I just got a new lawnmower a couple weeks ago, and uh, I couldn't help but notice when I took the lawnmower out of the box, there was a huge warning on the back of the lawnmower. I mean in big print. And it said, do not put arms or feet in the mower. (laughs) And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, Why would they go to the expense of putting this on the back of the mower? And and you know, every warning has had to be put there for some reason. Somebody, either by accident or on purpose, thought, hey, this would be a good idea to put my hand or my foot in the mower. Warning! As I looked through the booklet, it also said, warning, do not use the mower to cut the hedges, to trim the hedges. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, what is this warning? I mean, who would think to take the mower? And then I started thinking, that'd be kind of fun. But clearly, the the warning label said, don't do this. That got me thinking a little bit. You know, there's all kinds of warning labels around. I've heard stories of warning labels on hair dryers that say, warning may burn eyes. Now, I don't know that I'd use a hair dryer like this, but it, it would tell you not to. You could think of those that you've come across over and over again, a warning label that just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Or you think, well, well, who would need that? But there's a good reason. 
Even though we think we have so much common sense, we end up doing a lot of dumb things and we need warning labels right out in front of our face to say, this is not intended to be used this way. There's also some warnings that we are faced with all the time and and they don't seem so absurd to us because we would never do that. It's just like, are you serious? Some of us feel this way about a warning to wear a seatbelt. We think, well, that, that's a warning for somebody else, not for me. I mean, I, I'm a great driver, and, and, and I don't need to wear a seatbelt. Or I've heard the argument of, well, a seatbelt should be used in some cars, but this car is so safe. You know, the safety regulations should be different for this car because it is a tank. It's just a safe thing, and, and, and I don't have to follow that. Or there's speed limit signs, and we think there's suggestions and not limits. Or, or we see, be careful around a curve, and it says, only go 45 on the curve. And you think, I can do 60 just fine. And, and why do I need that warning? No matter how we view a warning, whether it's something we think, who would possibly need that warning? Or the opposite, to think, what a backwards, old-fashioned, just no fun warning label. It doesn't change the fact that the warning is there. Somebody in authority, somebody in position said, this needs to be told to you. Jesus is no different. He is telling us, after describing this vine branch relationship, this amazing relationship, there's a warning. Now, now before we dive into this a little bit deeper this morning, uh, by way of very quick review, those of you who missed the first two weeks or or you need a reminder, I want to quickly recap what we've seen in chapter 15. In the first eight verses, we saw that This vine is Jesus, and the branches are the Christians, and the gardener is the Father. The Holy Spirit, we can read into this context, that He is the life source that goes through the vine. We saw in that first week that every single believer is a branch. You don't need to waste time trying to be a branch. Either you're a Christian and you're a branch, or you're not and you're not a branch. But if you trust Jesus, you are a branch. This is talking about you. You are a branch. You may be a sick branch or a withering branch or a twisted branch, but you are a branch. We also saw that the the very same life source of the vine was the same life source as the branch. We cannot be connected to the vine and try to get a separate life source that I'll plug into Jesus on Sunday because I really love it. I I mean, when when they sing that song, it's my favorite song. When when I get to see that person, they make me feel good. I'm going to have a life source of being plugged into church. But you know what? Monday through Thursday, I'm going to be plugged into work. And on the weekend, I'm going to plug into family or recreation. I'm going to have a little bit of life coming into me there. No, this passage tells us the same life source for the vine is the same life source for the branch. And we saw that the purpose of that branch is to bear fruit. That's the whole purpose of the life, is to bear fruit, and that's why the gardener prunes the branch so we can be more fruitful. We we saw last week that Jesus didn't leave it to chance about this vine and branch relationship. He didn't just describe this deep relationship and say, go figure it out. No, no. Jesus dives right in and says, this is how you can abide in me. This is how you can stay connected to me. One, remain, abide, live, stay in my love. He didn't say the way you stay connected is is to stay in my judgment, to stay in my wrath, to, to live, abide in his love. In his love. He didn't even just leave it there and say, now go figure out how to do that. He says, it's, it's simple. It takes your whole life, but it's simple. Obey me, 
Obey my commands and you will love me. You want to stay in my love? You want to operate in my love? Do what I tell you. We saw a byproduct of that is this joy that comes. Finally, we saw the last couple things that this life connected in the vine, it has to make sure it's not just vertical, but that vertical life with Jesus has to invade the horizontal. And then finally, we see the blessings of abiding in Christ. I'm not just a servant, I'm called a friend. He tells me what's on the Father's mind. I then begin to see that he answers my prayer as I pray in his name. He gives me his joy and he completes me. All that by way of of review to remind us what Jesus is talking about. He talks about this love. He says, you can't do anything on your own, but with me you can do everything. I am calling you to love those around you. Your love's not good enough, but my love will help you love one another. And then Jesus takes this radical, what appears to be a left turn. He's been talking about love. He's been talking about a relationship with him. He's been talking about these great benefits. And he says, now let me talk to you about hate a little bit. That's what we get to talk about this morning. It's a great inspirational message, starting with verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Aren't you encouraged today? The world will hate you. What a jolt. A Christian who follows Christ should expect to be hated by the world. The form here in the Greek text in verse 18 suggests this if is not maybe, it's a certainty. It's, It's if and when. When this happens, if you find that you're being hated by the world, know that they hated me also. Jesus is giving a warning. He's saying you need to be aware. Not only is this the way to do life, but you need to understand there's some who have misused this relationship with me. There's some who don't get it. There's some who try to operate in ways that is not going to work. You need to know that living for the world and living for me won't work. In fact, There will be those who live for me, and they will get so discouraged, they'll get downhearted because the world doesn't respond the way they think the world should respond. He says, be encouraged. They hated me, and they will hate you. Although I'm full of love, although I'm the perfect son of God, Jesus is saying, the people who have the spirit of the world, they picked up that I was different, and they rejected me. They'll do the same with you. You say, Pastor, where are you going with this? I mean, how can this be the word that God has for us today? Well, friend, I'm preaching through John 15, and I can't skip the parts that are just not that exciting for you. I've made a promise, and, and you have a desire to study with me the entire word of God. And we need to hear this because I am confident that God has a word for us today. It's not only abiding in him. It's not only the benefits of being connected in the vine. But there's a warning, a, a reminder that when we are living and following Jesus, we will not be received by the world. If if we live our life and everything in our life is received by the world, this could be a cause for concern. Jesus says, those who follow me will not be accepted by the world. Why? Jesus gave a couple of reasons. He says, first, uh, the world hated me. Well, why did they hate me? Look at verse 22 through 25. 
Look in your Bibles with me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would be guilty of sin. One of the reasons the world is not receiving Jesus is when they get around him, when they hear him, when they see his mighty works, they are forced to a decision of what they're going to do with him. And, and they are feeling guilty of their sin and the rejection of him and the one who sent him. They are rejecting God Almighty. Don't miss this. They hated Jesus because they saw their own sin. They saw what change it would require in their life if they would begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, they did not accept me. That's what we see is a reason of the same thing could happen to us. Jesus told us the world is going to reject you like they rejected me. Is they're going to pick up that you have different values. They're going to pick up that you don't say the same things that they do. They're going to pick up that you don't go the same places. And they're going to smell, smell something different, rank, nasty in you. I mean, you don't even have to say much, but there'll just be some who... What, what's wrong with you? That same aroma. You get around another Christian. You get around a believer. I don't know if you've had this happen to you. You get around some people. You don't have to say much. And <laughs> you say, are you, are you a Christian? And they say, yeah, I am. You say, praise God. I could, I could just sense, I could just tell there was something about you. There's this aroma of those who follow Christ, those who are dedicated to Christ. I don't mean those who go to church. I don't mean those who carry a Bible. I don't mean those who have Christian listed on their Facebook religion status. I mean those who are sold out living for Jesus. There is an aroma about them. And to the believer, it is a sweet, sweet aroma. And to the world, it's a stench. It's something that is repulsive. These are Jesus' words, and it's his promise to us that we need to catch this warning. Now, it's important to note that not everybody will hate you at the same time, and they won't hate you in the same way. Obviously, persecution is not always a violent hatred. Every Christian is not going to be violently hated or persecuted in the same way that Others may have been or are in other parts of the world. Not all unbelievers even, not every person who doesn't believe in Jesus hates every Christian. But the system of the world, the spirit of the world in them will always reject the things of Christ. Don't miss that. Don't let this truth pass you by because you say, well, well, neighbor Joe doesn't seem to hate me and he doesn't love Jesus. I'm not saying that every unbeliever will hate you with the same intensity as the spirit of the world. But the spirit of the world that is in every person who doesn't know Christ will reject the things of Jesus. You say, well, so? Well, there's a reason. Well, that just seems kind of... Narrow-minded, that seems kind of closed, and that, that seems like, I, I, I don't know, Pastor, I don't know if I like where this is going. Hang with me. Jesus is telling us something very important. Most often, this disdain for the Christian, it's not always an action. Sometimes it's an attitude. Sometimes it takes on indifference, and they just begin to try to avoid you. Other times, it's this proactive 
antagonism coming against what it is that you believe. But make no mistake, every Christian who follows Christ with their life will not be received by the world. The second reason that the world hated Jesus is found in verse 19. It says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. So not only did they hate Jesus because they were feeling guilty of their sin, but the world loves itself. And and if if you are of the world, they love themselves and they will love and accept you. But if you are not of the world, it says in this text that those who are the branches abiding in the vine, they are what? They are not of the world because Jesus called them out of the world. They will not be received The more that you are like Christ, the more the world will hate you. I know I'm not getting many amens this morning. I know this is a message that's different. In fact, those of you who have a personality like mine looking for an outline, I should have warned you earlier, this is not really an outline sermon. It's not a three-point sermon. It doesn't have sub-points to it. But I have to encourage you, there is one point to the sermon. That's good news. Because if there wasn't one point, there would be no point at all to what I'm saying. That's about as good as the joke's going to get. You're going to have to laugh when you can get them. The the truth here is simple, but it's profound for us. The world hated Jesus, and if we are living in the vine, abiding in Him, we should expect, we should heed Jesus' warning that the world will not always receive us. We need to understand this, and Jesus gives us some instruction. For some, this is such a stumbling block. This is so disturbing. To be honest, there are some who say, "I, I... I really, really don't know if I can go that direction. I mean, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but 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 I, I want salvation, but, but I don't want to be hated. I don't want to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be hated. Nobody likes persecution, but Jesus is giving the warning. This is what happens. There is a byproduct of following me, and the world will not receive you. We need to be okay with this, church. We need to face this concern that trying to please the world will never, ever work. I want us to notice a couple things here. Two things I want to share to you. They're kind of hard to receive, but I think they're important for us to catch today. This spirit of the world that rejected Jesus and anything that smells like Jesus in us, uh, it's, it's not fun to talk about, but it, it's true. Sometimes the very spirit of the world that rejects us is in our own family. Sometimes, for some people, the very spirit of the world that comes against you and rejects you and and, and says all kinds of things about you is in your own family, and that hurts. Now, not for every Christian. That may not be your case, but you, you may be here today, you may be facing now, or you have walked through, and you know what it means to be rejected by your biological family, the, the people that, that have the same name with you. They reject you because of your faith in Christ. It's the things they say of, why do you have to be so religious? Well, we believe in God too, but we don't get crazy about it like you do. I mean, it's okay to pray every now and then, but why don't you do something and don't just just pray? You know what? I'm sick and tired of hearing you talk about this all the time. And in our house, we're not going to talk about politics or your religion. Our family can reject us. And the encouragement here is Jesus is saying, not all the time is it you. Now, sometimes we like to blame religion and we like to blame God for our own 
obnoxiousness. This is not a message today giving license for every Christian to go out and be obnoxious and to be hated by the world. I knew you'd hate me, so I'm just going to be extra obnoxious. You know, no. There's some people who reject us because of our own sin. There's some people who reject us because we're obnoxious and we just try to be rude and just try to be dumb sometimes. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But he's saying, if you love me, if you let me shape your life, if you stay connected to me, and I am the life source running through you, there is blessings, there is abundance, you will be the friend of God, you will know what's on the mind of the Father, you will pray and I will answer you, and they will hate you too. And I think the warning for us is, as we live in this heightened bliss of a moment, knowing that the Almighty God is speaking to us, and then we hit the bumps and the road of life, and we begin to see people come against us, and we begin to lose faith in our Father. And he's saying, I'm warning you. The system of the world will reject what I'm about every single time. They rejected me, and they'll reject you. For some of us, that spirit of the world can be in our own family. It's kind of hard to talk about, hard to admit, but it could be there. Also, sometimes the spirit of the world can be in the church. Sometimes our spiritual family, there's those who who come to the church, those who come around the things of God. They they like coming to church for an hour or two, but when they leave, make no mistake, they're going to live their life their way and how they want it. And when you begin to get serious about God and live all out for Him, they will reject you and your commitment to Him. Jesus says, expect this. Think about the people who gave Jesus the most trouble. Who gave Jesus the most trouble in His ministry? The Pharisees. The religious leaders, the professional Christians, the best churchgoers, those were the people who hurt him the most. And friends, when you are rejected, when you are hurt by your own spiritual family, it hurts. But God says sometimes, not because of our own obnoxious or our own sin that we're doing, but when we're following Jesus, sometimes we need to take comfort. It's not even you. They're rejecting the spirit of Jesus in you. Pastor? This is a warning label that doesn't make much sense to me. Why are we talking about it? Some people in this room are saying, well, I never expected to be loved by the world. Why are we talking about it? I'd never put my hands or my feet in the mower. Come on, let's get on to something good. There's other people here saying, now, come on, pastor. I mean, I know it's a suggestion to wear the seatbelt. I know we're supposed to not really expect the world to love us. But you know what? This didn't really apply to me, pastor. You know, I'm kind of exempt from this thing. If... (laughs) If you just knew how to work with people, if you just were good with people like me, you could could talk to them in such a way that they would really like you, Pastor. And I don't know this, that the world has to hate you thing really applies to me. Friend, Jesus knew that you would think that, and I may be tempted to think that. And that's why he said, remember, no servant is greater than his master. Who are we to think that we could help God out somehow? That Jesus himself, holy son of God, would proclaim the truth and he didn't get a crown on earth. He got a cross here on earth. But we are, we've got something to offer God. We are so slick. We are so cool. We are so politically correct that we can begin to move and sway in through the world. And they just say, look at that. That is great. Hey, Jesus is saying, if you have one foot in the kingdom of the world, and one foot in the kingdom of God, you will be torn apart. 
You have to have both feet squarely in my kingdom. And I need to let you know that I will never leave you or forsake you. You will know the thing that's on the Father's heart. You will have the power of the Holy Spirit moving through you. You will have reasons to celebrate. That I will satisfy your soul deeper than anything else. But you need to know, because I don't want to just tell you the good. I just don't want to tell you what is the great things. But you need to be warned and know that the world will hate everything about me, Jesus says. Jesus is driving this one point home over and over in this passage. And when we see that this can come into our family, this can come into our spiritual family, we see that it can hurt. I remember a time when uh, a couple years ago the Lord was calling me to deeper places in my walk. Not dealing with anybody else, but it was for me. And it was creating in me and, and giving me a deeper hunger to meditate on the Word. And it, it wasn't legalism, though I've dealt with that. I'm a recovering Pharisee, and I'll admit that. But he was giving me a, a hunger to meditate on his Word and, and a desire to cry out to him in prayer. And, and, and I would want to talk to some of my colleagues about it. And, and a couple of years ago, there were some friends that I was just sharing with, and, and I was res, res, so surprised by the response. And one of my dearest friends said, Brady, we don't... When we get together like this, we don't want to talk about church. We don't talk about God. We, we talk about this all the time. We need a break from that. We're playing golf. We're going to have a new rule in this golf league. No talking about church. And it broke my heart. And I thought, okay, that's good. I don't want to talk about church either. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about what Jesus is doing in our heart. And, and, the, and my friend said, Brady, I don't, I don't talk about that. And I'm not putting this friend down, and, and I'm not saying I haven't been there, because I, I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you, I'm a recovering Pharisee myself. The Lord has set me free from legalism myself. I can't cast the, that stone. I, I have had that error in my life. But it was so obvious to me, and it, it brought hurt to me. I thought, here is a brother that we are holding arms together, fighting in ministry together. Pastors! We don't want to talk about God, because we've got to play golf and get away from God. I don't need a vacation from God. I don't need a break from God. I may need a break from church. I may need a break from you. You may need a break from me. But I, I want to talk about what God's doing in my life. I want Him to stretch and grow me in, in the things of God. When we are getting serious about God, there are people who you love and who probably love you with all the effort they can will not receive what it is Jesus is doing in you. I'm telling you this because Jesus is telling us this. And he's saying, I need to prepare you. I need to warn you. You should expect that not everybody will... ...smell me in you and smile. And so the goal should be is to not ever smell like a Christian and never offend anybody. No! Because then you stink like the world yourself. But to recognize that God is doing something in you that will satisfy you greater than anything else. And we have to make sure we've already made the choice. I have to be dead to myself, dead to the world, for Jesus to do what he wants to do. There's a couple conclusions I think we need to draw from this this morning. One primary conclusion or deduction we need to take is that smooth sailing in our life is not necessarily a sign that God is pleased with us. Somebody here needs to be set free from the thought that if I was a good Christian like Pastor Edgar talked about, or if I was a good Christian like Pastor Brady talked about, that I'd never have any problems in my life. Hogwash. It's quite the opposite. The more I'm living for Jesus, 
I believe God stretches me and he says, you know what? I, I, I want to chisel some things off of my son Brady because this doesn't quite look like me yet. And I'm going to use whatever means necessary. Sometimes it's not even about pruning you or producing more fruit in you. It's about helping somebody else. Don't misunderstand me. I don't believe that God causes all things. But Romans tells us that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. He will take the things that the world throws at you and he will bring glory to his name. We're going to end on that in just a minute. We're going to begin to see what God wants to do through this. But somebody here today needs to be set free and realize that smooth sailing is not an evidence of God working in your life. Not all the time. In fact, the absence of persecution or trials may actually indicate some area of concern. Such was the case with Lot in Genesis 19. He was tired of this separated life on the hills of Palestine, and he pitched his tent near Sodom until finally he was firmly entrenched in the life of the city there in Sodom. When the day of judgment came and the angels commanded him to go and to, to speak the message that was given to him that judgment was coming, the scripture records that his sons-in-law thought he was joking. He lost all credibility. He got so close to it, and and they, they could not hear his message. Sometimes we need to be reminded of how dangerous it is to try to straddle the fence. Some people may not be as crass as that of going and living in an area of sin, but we try to find a comfortable space between some kind of area of really getting serious about God and some kind of life of willful disobedience, and we say, well, if this is sin and this is a holy roller weirdo for Jesus, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to kind of be right here. And Jesus is saying, I'm warning you. If you're a Christian, you're a branch. Don't try to be a branch. Don't work hard to be a branch. You're a branch. You may be sick. You may be twisted. You're a branch. But I'm going to prune you and cut things out of you. And I'm going to be, begin to pull you into the things of me. But if you try to hang on to the world while I'm doing this, it will never work. Right. Or if I'm coming and you're bringing me into the things of, of, of the Spirit and you look back and say, why are they so mean to me? It's because they don't accept Jesus. Right. As I told you, there's one point to the message and by now you're probably sick of hearing it. But Jesus has said, if you love me, the world and the spirit of the world will hate you. Again, I want to reiterate, this is not a license for any of us to revel in our obnoxiousness sometimes to the world. We need to love those around us. We need to acknowledge that sometimes people in our circle of influence will have a distaste in their mouth because of our own disobedience. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is saying, I love you. I want to tell you the things on the Father's heart. I'm going to work in your life. There is a deeper relationship. And you need to know it will cost you something. Look at the last two verses and we'll be through. 26 and 27. We haven't read that yet of chapter 15. When the Counselor comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me, 
and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, the the time is coming when when I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to testify to you about the realness of who I am in your life, and you are to testify as well. So what do we do? We have this intimate relationship with Jesus, and and he says, the world's going to hate us, so we should just hole up and wait till he comes back. No! Go out and testify of how good I am. Well, what kind of torture is that? I'm going to go out into the world and share the good news of Jesus and know that people will hate me? And Jesus says, yeah. And that's why you need to stay connected to me. It's beginning to make sense. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, stay in me, live in me. Why? Because it's going to be rough out there. You need to have all of your life source come from me. And then you begin to see that my joy is completed in you. It used to bug me when I was a teenager, and I would sit in circles like this, and people would get all excited and jump up and raise their hand. If it didn't bug you, then I'm sorry. Maybe you're disappointed in your pastor. It used to bug me. Why, why do they jump up and, and shout and raise their hand? And I, I believed in God, but what, why is that? And, and I had to deal with it my own way, and I'm not saying that loving God, I'm not making a case for noise or a case for emotionalism, but I want to say where there is motion, there is emotion at times, and, and this is a good thing, but I had to get to the place where I would say, God, I'm struggling with this, and it wasn't until I was in a deep, dark place myself, and I saw God's hand take and pull me out, that I couldn't help myself, and like our sister a couple weeks ago, she says, I don't know what got into me, but I just see Jesus, and i got to praise Him, i got to tell him, this is amazing. And so my heart to you, friend, today is that there is something more. It's time. God is saying, come to the deep places in me. There is places for you to go that I long to take you, Jesus says. This is not trying to earn your salvation. This is not levels of Christianity and some is a junior and some is an executive Christian. No, this is about getting closer to him and hearing what he has. But he's preparing us. Don't be surprised. Not everybody around you is going to get it. But I'm calling you to testify to me. I'm going to invite our musicians to come forward at this time. and We're going to transition. In a second, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God's blessing over you, my brothers and sisters. And then I think there's no better way for us to close out than to celebrate this vine and branch relationship that God has given to us. And if you're here today and and some of what I'm telling you is frustrating to you, or you see people get excited about God and and that frustrates you, I, I want you to hear me clearly. You are welcome here. I welcome you here. I sat in that seat. I myself had doubts and questions, but I want those who are ready to receive what God has. Somebody needs to know that the world is going to throw all kinds of obstacles at you, but this is the time to press in deeper to Him. Father, pray You'll take the massive words that You've put on my heart and make some sense to it to my brothers and sisters. Our hearts have been hungry to hear from You today. So, Lord, I pray that you'll let everything that I've shared that doesn't have significance to your word to just crumble away. And you'll let your word stand strong in the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters. 
I pray that you will remind us of your deep love. This whole relationship is rooted in abiding in your love, not your wrath, not your judgment, not all these other condemnation things the enemy wants us to think about, but in your love for us. You chose us. We didn't choose you. And Lord, I pray that you remind us as we go into the deeper things of you and we press into your presence the things that we're going to face tomorrow and the next day, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe at home with family, maybe even, God forbid, some people who we attend church with who don't quite get it. God, I pray that you will remind us you are more than enough to satisfy our heart. And Lord, would your joy be complete in us? Would you help us to see that our life source is in you and no other place? Bless my friends today. Jesus, as we lift up this song of praise, I pray that you will reach deep into our heart and complete the joy of my brothers and sisters today in knowing, just like in Hebrews 11, there were some who did not receive the things promised to them, but they welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they lived in this land as if they were foreigners or aliens. Jesus, we know that we don't always see everything that you have promised here on earth. But we celebrate that you are more than enough to satisfy while we are here on this earth. In your name we pray. Amen.